Well, good morning. As we have the privilege to come before God with his word, I invite you to join me. Um, we're in Genesis this morning, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. In the uh, pew Bibles in front of you, it would be page 1. So Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The sixth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The word of the Lord. Let's uh, open with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to jump into your word. I feel like we always go back to Genesis. Uh, and I, I enjoy going back to Genesis, but uh, we pray that you would go with us and open the way, help us to understand your word, to, to grow, uh, to be challenged, uh, and also to be affirmed, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, get everything situated here. We are starting a new series today, uh, Women in the Kingdom, Kingdom of God, right? This could be like a series about Great Britain. Um, no, this is a series about the kingdom of God, the kingdom throughout uh, Scripture. And, uh, you know, I'm sure this won't be a controversial series at all. You'll all just agree, right? No, it, it, this could be a, a challenging uh, series. But I hope that we'll all grow through it, uh, and I hope that we'll be encouraged uh, regardless. And I was preparing for this message. <laughs> I was reminded of James Brown and Betty Newsom's song, It's a Man's, Man's, Man's World. Apparently to take on It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Uh, so I don't know if you are familiar with this. I think uh, Betty Newsom actually wrote this, according to Wikipedia. So disclaimer, Wikipedia. Uh, it says that she actually wrote it sort of observing uh, men and women and their social interactions. And the, the first verse goes like this. It goes, you see, man made the cars to take us over the road. Man made the train to carry the heavy load. Man made electric light to take us out of the dark. Man made the boat for the water like Noah made the ark. Like a little Bible reference there. This is a man's, man's, man's world, but it wouldn't be nothing, nothing without a woman or a girl. So intriguing, right? Interesting. Uh, is that how it is, right? Like it's a, it's a men's world, it's a man's world, and sort of like women and girls are an afterthought, because that's kind of what the feeling I get from uh, hearing that. I, I know it's like a poetic, artistic interpretation, uh, but as, as you come to the scripture, like, is, is that how it's supposed to be, right? Like it's a male-centered world, and women and girls are sort of like an afterthought, because I think the Bible actually paints a radically different picture of gender, uh, of male and female relationships, and how we're to work together. I don't think the Bible says it's a man's world, unless you're referring to like Christ, <laughs> Jesus. It's his world, right? But how we as believers 
in Christ relate, male and female. That's what this series is going to be about. As we start in Genesis and head all the way through the scripture, I'm preaching sort of the kickoff message, and then Andy's going to come in and just knock it out of the park and uh, <laughs> for the next couple of weeks and do like a big picture overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and that's very exciting. Uh, now, we're going to start, right, in Genesis chapter 1, because this is where God begins to define male and female relationships. And we see this, verse 26. Then God said, let me switch the slide here. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, by mankind, God is saying humankind, right? Men and women, this is not a gender-specific thing. Mankind together. And he makes humankind, mankind, in his image. Now, this is already radically different than the entire ancient world, right? Because if there was someone who was made in the image of God in an ancient religion, it was always the king. It was Pharaoh, it was never just the, the, like the, 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 the poor people. It was never the peasants. It was never uh, those that weren't in power. It was always those in power because that's what they needed to rule and to reign, right? They needed like God's authority, God's, God's permission, God's power. So this is already very startling, but it's going to go one step further because in verse 27, God defines who, who, who is made in his image. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. Now, unless we think that's just men, God clarifies. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So both men and women are fully created in the image of God. That means both men and women have equal dignity, equal worth before God, and are able to relate to God the same way, at an at 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 equal relationship. This is startling, right? Now, I don't want to make it a, a generic, just kind of blanket statement that all women were treated poorly in the ancient world. That's not true. But many women were treated poorly in the ancient world, Right? There were some cultures that, that, that elevated some women, but many, right, it was, you were kind of seen through your husband. And for, for the scripture to come along and say, men and women are equal in the image of God, that's amazing. That's beautiful. And that's one of the reasons we can actually believe uh, the scripture. That's why we want to believe the scripture. And then God gives men and women a job to do. Verse 28 says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now notice, God does not differentiate which gender is responsible for which tasks in this statement. Right? Like, okay, guys, be fruitful. <laughs> Multiply. You would have a tough time doing that on your own. Right? But so would the women. So would the wives. And so it says, be fruitful, increase in number. Subdue it, right? We tend to think of uh, subjugation, of, of dominating, of stewardship as more of a male-oriented task. The scripture doesn't define it that way. It just gives men and women this call to rule. 
This is really like a kingship call, right? God is calling men and women, humanity together to rule, to be kings and queens over his creation, to co-rule. And this is not to be uh, exercise dominating lordship. I can just take out of creation anything I want. No, this is a call to steward creation, to, to care for the environment and the animals and the world in a way that makes it fruitful and multiplies. So this is really a beautiful call for men and women together to, to rule the world. And so God calls us together to do this, and then we transition into Genesis chapter 2. Because Genesis chapter 2, I think, continues to emphasize that co-laboring, that co-ruling, that co-stewarding. So God takes man, and he, well, he, he creates man from the dust of the ground. I feel like that's like the first joke in the Bible. <laughs> God picked up some dirt and then made it into a dude. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. And then God places Adam in the garden to work it and take care of it. A couple sources, and I've linked these in my sermon that I'm going to post on my website. John Walton, Gordon Hugenberger. He was the pastor of Park Street for a while, Gordon uh, Hugenberger. They were teaching me this week that, uh, that humankind, right? So if Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are sort of co-ruling, co-kings, co-queens. Uh, we get, in Genesis chapter 2, we get this co-priesthood, right? That there's this garden, this sacred space. It even has sort of four walls. It has four rivers, uh, and it has a tree of life that brings fruit to the garden. It's where God's presence dwells in the world, where heaven touches earth. Like, this is a temple garden. This is a temple space. And Adam and Eve are called to rule there as priests, to, to steward, to care for the garden, to, 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 to work. It's this beautiful picture, and yet, like... It, it's not a male-dominated vision of priesthood. It's actually male and female together. See, Genesis chapter 2, 18 says this. It says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Adam alone, mankind, man alone, is an insufficient priest. Right? Insufficient ruler, insufficient priest. Needs a helper Need someone to come alongside. Now, like when I was growing up, like I was like my dad's helper in our children's church, right? <laughs> Not a relationship of equality, right? Like when you help with something in our culture, in American Western culture, being someone's helper is sort of like, I don't know, it's like, you know, you're, you're sort of second class, right? You're, you're helping, I appreciate you, but really I, I'm the one doing most of the work. That's not the vision we get from the Bible. Uh, the word for helper is, is sometimes used of God's relationship. God's called a helper, the same exact Hebrew word, right? So God's not like the, the helpful sidekick that comes along and helps Israel. No, God's God. He's helping them. He's sustaining them, giving them life. Uh, and so we should read nothing into sort of hierarchy based on that word. Uh, instead, we can look at this. And that word really means like corresponds to or fit for. Like I love this idea of fit and flourish, right? Fit and flourish. Adam and Eve, man and woman, they fit together and they flourish, 
right? And this is how God calls men and women to work together and to, to be good stewards, right? Uh, now, we're looking here in Genesis chapter 2, uh, and what God is doing, at, right, he, he, he's, he's establishing that men and women, they're to work together. There's connection, there's union, and we see this in verses 21 through 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So how, how's he going to make woman, right? Let's see, let's see. He caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. For the longest time, I thought, like, guys had one less rib than women. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I guess I could Wikipedia that. Um, right? But God took something from her, uh, from him, his rib, and made woman out of it. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. God did not take Adam's toe bone and make a woman, right? God did not take part of his foot, right? Because what would have that implied? Just <laughs> subjugation, dominance. Uh, the men are really the ones in charge. Nor did God take, like, an earlobe or, like, a chunk of the forehead or, like, a piece of hair from the head to perhaps symbolize that women are over God took something that was very much a symbol of side-by-side relationship working together. God took a rib. God took a correspondence to symbol that men and women would co-rule, would co-reign, and would act as kings and priests in God's world, in God's temple. And we're only in Genesis chapter 2. God gives a radical vision of creation Right? Men and women co-rule, co-serve, and this creates a harmonious relationship in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Men and women are relating to each other, they're relating to God, they're serving, there's harmony in the garden. Now this makes me ask a question. Does this mean that there's no sort of male leadership between men and women? This is a theme that we're going to have to return to again and again in this series. I'm sure Andy will figure it all out for you next week. I don't think the vision of Genesis 1 through 2 precludes any sort, like, I don't think it it eliminates male headship or male authority. I think we see that other places in Scripture. But as we look at Genesis 1 and 2, I think it's really important to emphasize the, the, the picture we get is one of equality, of co-ruling, of co-serving, of harmony, of working together, of union, of connection. Not one of uh, authority over or superiority to, um, but one of equality. Now, I do think we're going to see in other places that like, the husband is called to be the head of his wife. Uh, and that's a whole debate of like, what exactly does that mean? Uh, but in Genesis, it doesn't mean dominance or inequality. Um, I think there are some things that we're going to see as we go through Scripture that they're called to uh, like work together and that there are overlapping tasks, right? That they work together to be fruitful, to multiply, to steward. Back in the fall of 2014, I wrote a paper, you know, because that's what I do, to kind of think through things. I wrote this big, long paper about women in Scripture, trying to figure out what is my position on women in ministry. And I, I want to just kind of map out that there are essentially two positions here. That, that 
you know, and I don't think scripture ever fits cleanly into one box or the other. But they're sort of like the egalitarian camp and the complementarian camp, right? Complementarian camp would be more of like we have male uh, leadership in the family and in the church, so only men can preach and serve as elders, and there's various levels of that, right? Some women can preach, some women can serve on, well, some, maybe you could have women elders, but not like a senior pastor, right? So there's various levels of complementarianism, and then there's various levels of egalitarianism, where women can uh, uh, preach, lead, do anything in the church, and there might be some restrictions. So there's like some sort of overlap there in the middle. And as I read scripture, and I, I personally study scripture, I wrestle with the tension. And I hope that this series will help you wrestle with the tension. Andy was right when he said, like, we've put you guys through a lot. This series is meant to be a challenging uh, series. But the important thing is that we always come back to scripture, and that we always always treat each other with respect. Because while I might hold one position, what I like to call a hybrid position that I think scripture speaks to, others might hold a more firmly complementarian or more firmly egalitarian position. And the key is that we respect each other, that we approach this conversation with humility, and that we always go back to scripture. Because it's so easy to say like, well, I don't know what scripture says, here's what I think. (laughs) No. Let's see what the scripture says. Let's try to be faithful to God's word. And so what's my hybrid position that I think the scripture speaks to? I think the scripture calls to some form of male husband leadership, where I am called to lead my wife. And I see that especially in Ephesians 5. But I don't think that eliminates my wife preaching or serving in the church. right? So I'm sort of this weird complementarian in the home, egalitarian in the church position. So we'll have fun looking at that as we go through this series. And one of the reasons that I believe that position is because when you look at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are working together, right? And he is, uh, in many ways, just calling her to, to do the same exact work that he is doing, right? And Adam is, in Scripture, designated as sort of a federal head, a representative Right? So he represents all of humankind, all of mankind at this point. And yet as we look at Genesis, right, we see them working together. We see Adam lifting up and empowering Eve for greater service. Okay, so where did all go wrong? <laughs> what happened? Well, the serpent enters into the garden and tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they succumb. And so as a punishment, God curses Adam and Eve, Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So what happens to the relationship, this good, mutual, corresponding to, working together, uh, co-serving, co-ruling relationship? Well, it looks like this now, right? Right? that man would have dominance over woman, that husbands would uh, rule over their wives, and their wives would have this, uh, this broken desire for them. Desire plus dominance equals disharmony. This is the curse. This is what we've been living with and dealing with since the fall. And yet, as we look at our own relationships, maybe you can think about, right, 
previous significant others. You can think about relationships that you've witnessed in your own life. You can think about just male and female relationships in, in media or in our culture or in your, your friendships. And we see the brokenness. For some reason, we don't have to be convinced of this part as much. <laughs> it's the, what does the restoration look like? That can be challenging. So is this it? No. Because we believe in the gospel, the good news. And if we believe in the gospel, that means there must be good news for this relationship. And so what is that good news? Well, it's that Jesus has come to set things right. Jesus has come to heal the curse, to take the curse upon himself, to enter into our brokenness. And so in John chapter 4, we find redemption. We find an example of forgiveness, of revelation. By that, I mean God revealing himself, and ultimately of restoration. And so what do we find in John chapter 4? Well, it's the story of Jesus and his disciples traveling through Samaria. Right? And they come to this Samaritan village. They stop at the outskirts at this thing called Jacob's Well. We've never heard of it before in Scripture, but uh, that's what it is. And they stop. Jesus sends his disciples into Samaria to get some food. He's resting there by the well. And then a woman comes out. Right? A woman comes out to get water in the middle of the day. You would think, like, this is hot and sweaty work. You would go either in the morning that's cool hours or in the evening that are cool hours. But instead, she comes in the middle of the day, and they have this conversation between uh, Jesus and this woman. And Jesus reveals her brokenness. John 4, 17 says this, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husbands. The fact is you have five husbands. You have had five husbands, and the man you, know how, you now have is not your husband. What you, have, what you have just said is quite true. So I just want us to think about it for a moment. This woman has been bitten by the snake. This woman is feeling the full effects of the fall. Her relationship with those five uh, men looks just like this. Right? She's been in five relationships, used, abused, we assume, and mistreated. And so is that how Jesus leaves her? No, oh, Jesus enters in. He's not afraid to be seen with her. He talks with her one-on-one. -on -one. He completely demolishes the Billy Graham rule, different sermon. He is in a public space. Like, people can see that he's having a conversation, and, and his disciples are scandalized, right? Like, they're surprised. Why are you meeting with this woman? And what does Jesus do? How does Jesus treat this woman? He reveals himself to her. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the first time Jesus has ever professed to be the Messiah. And he reveals it to a broken woman, uh, Samaritan, social outcast, who is feeling the effects of the fall. Unclean, unloved. And what does she do? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. She said to the people, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
And many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This Greek word for testimony is martyreo, right? That's where we get the word martyr. She's just bearing testimony. She's publicly proclaiming what Jesus has done for her. Some might even call it preaching. And people are coming to faith through her proclamation, through her public proclamation of what Jesus has done for her. This is the picture we get, right? Jesus enters into the brokenness and he elevates, he redeems, he lifts up. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what the kingdom of God does for women of all social classes and all times and all places as we come to Christ. Restoration, she's forgiven and she's called and then she goes out and bears testimony. Go back one. Paul calls us a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You know what that's like saying? That's like saying we are the new Genesis. We are the new Garden of Eden. He's talking about the church. He's talking about believers. And so the question for this series uh, about the church is how are we to be that new garden? How are we to be the new creation? What do gender relationships between men and women look like in a new creation if we're all in Christ? And Andy will give you the answer next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for women. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to talk about this, to to wrestle with the tension found in Scripture, uh, to, to cling to your word, and to try to capture what it means to be a new creation in your church. I don't know exactly what that looks like, Lord. But I'm going to trust that as we work through this topic, as we go to your word, as we as a church body talk about it, that that we'll discern, that we'll listen, that we'll hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would bless our small group conversations today as we talk about women who have made a big impact in our lives, and then just review Genesis 1 through 2 and try to go a little bit deeper, Lord. Thank you for everyone here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.